0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Us worshiping the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On your head be it, Owen. <laughs> on your, on your head be it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, well, I didn't. In case you were going to ask, did you have a good night's sleep? The answer is no. I did not. I don't know why, but I, uh, well, I didn't just, sleeping in hotel, I'm actually sleeping in a hotel on all holidays, it just didn't go well. they, have a, they had a party downstairs, there's a disco going on, you know, so after a while when I couldn't sleep, I went and joined, no, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to, I feel like, uh, well, let me read the Bible first, so let's turn to the Bible, Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to read from the very beginning. And as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west. And all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabeath Haraloth. Okay, that's the name for you. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. And though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because... They had not been circumcised on the way, and when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day." And while the people of Israel were in at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on, the, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, leavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Well, um, I just actually want to say, uh, again, thank you to Owen for inviting me and being here and so on. Uh, I've known Owen a few years now, and I really do thank God for him. Um, uh, he's, he's passionate for God's church, and and that means a lot to me, because so am I, I'm sure so all of us. And I know he's passionate for you. We have times that he comes around, and we just have times of talking chatting and just talking about the church, talking about what God is doing around And they're they're good times. And um, I guess I wanted to say, actually God says to Joshua in one place, he says to him, Joshua, today I will make you great in the eyes of the people. That's quite a verse. I will make you great in the eyes of the people. And I feel, Owen, that the Lord wants to say to you that there are things that he has installed in you and set up in you for you to do, for his people, and that he is the one that makes those things come to pass. Just as he did it for Joshua, he will do it for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel that um, <clears throat> the prophetic word that Abby, okay, that Abby brought made me just have a feeling of kind of mm. in my spirit. <laughs> Really, it did. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be announcing, well, we announced just two days ago in Jubilee that we now have just purchased this building for our offices and food bank and all of this stuff that we do. It's the first building we've purchased. We build buildings for people elsewhere. We, didn't, we don't have one ourselves. Uh, we still still in the cinema. But I announced that we're going to be, we've, we've purchased it and now we're just going to give to it. Tomorrow is our giving day for it. But then on the Wednesday when we had our prayer meeting <clears throat> I showed the people somebody gave me a prophetic word it was a picture of a building in January 21st of January and then I showed when I showed the people the picture that was given me 21st of January and the building that we now purchased they're identical not just that when in 21st that building was only built they began to build it in February, and they completed it in the... In fact, they haven't, they haven't completed it yet. The prophetic picture was given us before the building was built. And I showed... Thank, I kept it in my Bible the whole time. I put it up for the people to see, and everybody had that feeling that I got just now when that word came. And I cannot tell you how much it has fired up our faith, knowing that we are being led by God. There's no substitute for the prophetic. There's no substitute for the prophetic. And the lady who brought that word in our church, her name is Hillary. Hillary Whitehead, her name is. Hillary is one of those people that she really loves the Lord, passionate for the Lord, but she has never brought a prophetic word in her life. Not even once. She hasn't even tried. Not once. And she's been in the church all these years. <clears throat> I know Hillary, all Hillary wants to do is do the tea and coffee. That's all, she, that's all she asked. She said, I can't do anything, but I can do that. On one occasion, Hillary said, oh, can I go to Zimbabwe with people? And just to be nice, I said to her, well, I, I wanted to say no because I just don't think she'll cope. She won't cope because she's, she's a lady. She's kind of in her 40s, but she's so kind of sheltered. And uh, she's as English as from, I don't know, Lancashire or something, you know. <laughs> I just don't think she's going to come. So I said, you know, people have to pay for it. She said, I have the money saved up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, it's just it's very hot, you know, and the weather. And uh, she says, I want to, will you let me go? So we let her go. I tell you, she was amazing. All our bags finally arrived, except Hillary's bag got lost. I said, now what are you going to do, Hillary? Because also, we all packed these big bags. She had this little thing. I'm like, she doesn't know what she's doing. And her bags got lost. We land there. She had no clothes, no nothing. I'm like, Hillary, are you okay? She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I felt like I said, you, you really shouldn't be okay. But, <laughs> but she says, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm absolutely fine. You know, and I got some money. I got someone to take her shopping and bought everything. Hillary just loves God. During worship, Hillary is, a, Julie is very diverse. Hillary is always in the back somewhere dancing out of tune. <laughs> out, way out of tune. Just like this, like this. Just all very schizophrenic, but she loves it. And of all the people that the Lord could give a prophetic word that would usher us into a new era, he chose Hillary. It, it, when Hillary heard, she heard of the building for the first time on Wednesday, and she saw a photograph of the building we were buying on the first time on Wednesday, Hillary came to me very scared. saying, She said, I just, I just felt God put it on my heart. I didn't, like, mean it. I just... <laughs> I didn't mean it to become a big, I'm just, I just, God just put it in my heart. So I just drew it. And she just is so, scared. she is now, she has an unbelievable healthy fear of God now. <laughs> As does the whole congregation. It's nothing like it when God speaks to you. And I'm saying that because that word today completely comes into the heart of what I feel the Lord has for me to bring to you this morning. So I'm entitling this, Preparation for Possession. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the song we just sang, honoring you, your name, your attributes, your character, Yahweh. Those in the old could not call you Yahweh, but we can, because of the finished work on the cross. So we thank you. Our hearts are full of gratitude and now, Lord, we come to your word. We, we come to bow down to it. We don't stand proud of it. Would you let it rain over us and wash over us? Teach us something new and different. Remind us of the old ways, Lord, that we may live in it. Holy Spirit of God, speak to us. Impregnate us with something different for a new season that at the end of it we all be edified and Jesus Christ be glorified. And everybody said, amen. <clears throat> I was sharing with the youths, a few, I think a couple of years ago at New Day, that the story of the Bible in the end... Oh, are you guys okay there? I, is it, I can help you if you need some help. Okay, okay. Because I have another computer here if you want. Um, the story of the Bible really is a story of deliverance. <clears throat> it's a story of a God who, out of no lack in himself, he created man. And having created man, uh, uh, he just, he made him and loved him. No deficiency in him. Most things that we do, we do, but there's a little bit that comes back for us, not with God. He just, he has, there's no deficiency in him. He wasn't lacking anything. And so it is that he made man in his own image, which is huge. And he made him to worship him, to honor him, to praise him. But of course, you know the story, man goes rogue and goes to do his own thing. And God tries to call them back and they wouldn't respond. He sends them words, they wouldn't hear, he sends them prophet, they wouldn't respond. He shows them signs they wouldn't respond. And so in the end, they end up in slavery in Egypt. You all know the story. But having been left then in Egypt for 400 years, he then was going to deliver them. The gospel really is a story of deliverance, how man having gone rogue, God calls man back. Deliverance. And he sh- is shown in many pictures in the Bible, but none as broad and as complete as the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt into the promised land that God had for them. So it is that He took them out from Egypt, and He did it in different ways. Number one, He delivered them by miracles. He did it because He sent Moses in, and Moses, in going, who you know the story—he cannot speak properly, but God uses him, and he goes to God. God says, "I'm going." Well, God comes to him. I'm going to use you. He goes into Egypt and goes to Pharaoh, and all the signs that he does—the snakes that are turned, uh, these staff that turns into snakes—and the uh, boy, everybody breaks out in boils and frogs and lice and all kinds of things. Water that turns into blood and darkness, which is one of my favorite ones and he often overlooked. That it says the darkness was so dark that the people could feel it. Uh, when you're like me, like us, you live in London, we don't know what darkness is because there's light everywhere and light pollution. You have to come to a place like this to begin to get a feel for it. And then you go to other parts of Africa, you feel the darkness seems even more because at least here, you still, you know, there's some light going to show up soon. But there are parts of this world where there's no light going to show up soon. So dark. He says the darkness was so dark that people could feel it. They were in awe of God. By the way, the whole time that all this is happening, this is happening amongst the Egyptians. In the camp of the Israelites, there's light. So now they're beginning to catch a feel for the God of the Israelites, who he really is, what he really can do. Uh, uh, It says in the book of Psalms, mighty works that he did in the land of Ham, that is in Egypt. So they were delivered by miracles. Not just that. They were destined, when they came out, actually, when they came out of Egypt, they were singing the song, Psalm 106, verse 24. It says, Who is like unto you, O God? Amongst the God who is like unto you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, always doing wonders. So the point is this God is trying to show them, just show his own children, just so you know. I'm a god of power. I'm a god of miracles. There's nothing I cannot do. He's trying to to awaken faith inside them for him as he's leading them out. They're delivered by miracles. Not just that they were destined by promises. And Exodus chapter six, where he says to them, he actually gives them seven times. He says, "I will. I will bring you up from under this burden now. With my outstretched arm, I will remove you from slavery. You who are not a people, I will make you my people." and I will be your God, and I will give you the land, the land that I promised to your fathers, and I will make it an inheritance for you. Seven times, he says, I will, I will. will." He's virtually marrying them, you might say, marrying them to himself. He's drawing them. You know, the concept of God as love does not just turn up in the New Testament. It is there right through in the old, if we look for it. It's just that people tend to think of the harsh acts that they see. Everything Okay. see, So it is that they were destined by promises, just like you and I have promises. But then, finally, they were sustained by miracles, by the supernatural. Uh, when they came out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. This is like my favorite story ever, the Red Sea. No Hollywood thing is ever going to beat this. Um, I heard uh, The Rock being interviewed on the radio yesterday he just has a, he has a new film, Al San Andreas, and he's talking about it, all oh, this film, and are just a story and a narrative, and they just take themselves too seriously, all these people. <laughs> they really do, you know. You want to see stories, you want to be impressed, go read all this stuff in the Old Testament and see the God of the Bible and see what, and that's why I love that song with your song, because it just describes the majesty of God. Psalm 8 says, oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I think of the heavens and the earth, the works of your fingers, <laughs> you know, when we want to do real work, we get our hand out, we can pull your hand. With God, his finger, the works of your fingers, he just spoke it be, he just, flo- just throws the, st- st- the stars into space. And they're there, till today, from the moment he said, let there be, nature scrupulously obeys God. It never dares to disobey God. Since the time he said, let the sun come up, let this go down, let the moon. Everything obeys till today. And he had to say it only once. Oh, that my word to my children would be like this. That they will just obey the first time. But they don't. Everything that God said It's just, it's, it's amazing. He delivered them by miracle, destined them by promises, and he sustained them by the supernatural. That they're coming out and they go through the Red Sea. They see every, you know, he passed, the rest of the walk on dry land. I often like to say and remind people, because we, we, we think of it as they got there, he put the stick, everything goes like, not quite like that. You know, yes, but actually Moses says to God, I don't know what to do. And God says, well, why are you talking to me? Which is a very scary moment. <laughs> yeah, because, and God does that to all of us at some point. Because there's something, God wants to know, well, what will you do? But well, many Christians in that moment would be like, oh, since I don't know and you don't know, I'll go find out from somebody else. <laughs> no, this, the, the, the trick is to stay there. Stay there. And he will come through in the end, actually. Exodus 15, he'll come through. Everything passed. They would have had to walk right down into this thing. They would have had to walk on dry land. God would have had to tar that thing in a hurry. Because although I don't love the children would have walked, the fishes all, all of this, the water, vertical water by the size, all the fishes and all of that. I'm still impressed by this. In a world that there's so much to be impressed by, this is what impresses me, that God did that then, and actually He still does these acts today, if we will open our eyes and behold the beauty that is all around us. They walked on dry. And the Bible references this something like 10 different times. So it's quite a big deal. Quite a big deal. Not just that. He says, that it says, it says, he sustained them. He says their shoes never wore out. I like to joke and say, how did they even notice that? I think somewhere in the wilderness, they're sitting around talking and saying, you know, I bought these shoes in Egypt, you know. <laughs> 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 Do you know, I bought, I bought this, I bought it in Egypt, you know. And I tell you, it, it, it's lasted all. Look at it. All these years, just, those Egyptians are good at shoes. <laughs> there are times when God does things for us. If you're not careful, you think, my own hand did it, or my boss did it, or the bank did it. It just happened, no, no. God did it. God did it. And yet, though they saw all these things, the Bible says, and God was not pleased with them. He says God was not pleased with them. He says because they had no faith in his promises. That's sad. Psalm 106 verse 24. They had no faith in his promises. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 that they did not mix it with faith. The word that came to us came to them, but it didn't yield anything in their lives because they didn't mix it with faith. So wherever there is no faith, things just do not work. And very, very sad to say, but that generation did not make it into the promised land. Don't ever think that a prophetic word once given will definitely happen. Oh no, there is a part to play on the part of the person to whom it's been given. There really is something to do there. God is the one in the end that does it all, but you have a part to play. And they came out and they didn't get in, which is so sad. Because in Deuteronomy 6 it says, God brought them out that he might bring them in. But if that generation perished in the wilderness... And in person in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, two people who did have faith. You see, it takes faith to get to the next place, to get to the next level, to possess the possessions that God has for you and I. It really takes faith. And so that because that generation died, by the time we get to the book of Joshua, it's a different generation altogether that we're seeing here. It's a completely different generation. And now God comes to Joshua, as He was with Moses. He comes to Joshua and says, "Moses, my servant is dead. As I was with Moses, I will be with you." He says, "Wake up, wake up! You know, arise." He says to him, uh, "Be courageous, be strong, and be courageous." Uh, I will let, you, I will use you to lead these people to possess the land. It's huge, right there. Is just God. God works through leadership; He just does. I will use you to take these people to possess. And then He even describes the land to him. From the land of the Euphrates to the land of the Hittites, over the great river, over, I mean, the contours, everything is described fully there. So that there is clear vision in, uh, in Joshua's mind. He has his commissioning, all of that. Three times he says to him, be strong and courageous. Once he actually says, be strong and be very courageous. And so it is that Joshua begins to lead. So now, different generation, God is called Joshua. And as it's called Joshua now, he also says to Joshua, you know, Joshua sends out spies, Joshua chapter 2, sends out spies to go and spy, people to go and spy out the land. chapter 2 and chapter 3 and so on. Um, just as Moses sent out spies, Joshua sent out spies. Not just that, just as Moses was able to open the Red Sea and people realize, okay, God really is with this guy. That's when God said to Joshua, Joshua 3, 7, says to him, Joshua, I will make you great in the eyes of these people that they can know that as I was with Moses, I was with you. It's huge. And so they're going to cross the Jordan. Moses crossed the Red Sea. Joshua's going to cross the Jordan. And as they're crossing the Jordan, on this occasion, God parts the Jordan and lets the water become like a huge mountain on the one side. And he says, as soon as the priests put their their foot in there, then it will (laughs) happen. Would you have wanted to be one of those priests? The whole thing is there. God says, I mean, if I were there, you know, in fact, in our day, we will send a committee to God after debating it, discussing it, thoroughly assessing it, strategizing and calculating it, and then we will have a summary and bring it to God, say, oh, Lord, our God, (laughs) you know, just, you know, how majestic is your name and all of that now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We, we can be like that song, that we, we just know the words, we just say all of that. Now, Thank you so much for your suggestion, food in the water, all of that. Thank you ever so much. I mean, you're just, you're God. However, <laughs> on careful assessment, <laughs> we have decided that it might be wiser if you would perhaps open it first, like you did before, and then we would walk in. You would be happy, we would be happy, it's going to be all good. But God doesn't do it that way. The first time he parted, the second time he says, no, you put your foot first, then I'll part it. Well, the priests go, I would not, just so you know, I would not have wanted to be one of those guys. They put their foot in, and God parts it. And a miracle happened, and they walk again on dry land. In fact, he says this time, let the priest stand there while everybody walks through. It's just mesmerizing. These things are written for us that we can know the God we serve. They are not just stories. They are, they are pictures of prophetic. They are prophetic pictures for you and I that we may know how to walk with this God and the acts of this God and all His acts. None of it comes to the climactic crescendo like Him coming down. And dying on the cross, and then on the third day, rising up again, and then bringing people to himself from all over. It's a great God. Islam could never offer you this. No other religion could ever offer anything close to this. So it is that it's a new generation. And everything is going well. The Jordan is opened. um, just everybody's behaving. In fact, in chapter two, all the people say, We will follow you. They say to Joshua, We will follow you. They say, We will follow you as we followed Moses. That makes me nervous, by the way, that bit. Yeah. As we followed Moses, because on one occasion they were like, This guy Moses, how do we know God is with him? You know, people are like on one occasion they're happy, let's go, let's go. Next time they're like, not sure. I'm not sure about Moses. You know, he's just a little too short, you know, not sure. Not sure. Well, uh, uh, on one occasion, they said to, about Moses, let's kill him. This is worth reading, book of Exodus. Let us kill him. Now, I know none of you have ever thought of that concerning. Paul <laughs> <All right. laughs> Pauline, maybe, but not the rest of you. <laughs> It's a whole new generation. Everything is going well. And then they get to chapter 5. And God says, and by the way, by the time they cross the Jordan, all the people, all the kings elsewhere, they've heard about this. They've heard about this. They've heard that God has done this. And so they're scared. You would be. Because they know they're coming this way. And it says there because of the Israelites. And then God suddenly says, everybody stop. I mean, we're on a journey, it's going well, and then God says, stop. Because there's something I want to do, something different, of a different order. See, up to this point, they're seeing God's hand, they're seeing God's miracle, they're seeing, they're seeing, they're seeing. Now there's something he wants to put right. There was something, because to get to the next level, there's always a transition point. They are at the transition point. What does a transition point look like for you and for me when God is going to move us to a new dimension? Number one, it always calls for a new commitment. It always calls for a new commitment. And the nature of this commitment is unbelievable. They've never heard this before, where he says to Joshua, Joshua, I know it's all good, but I'm going to change it all. I know it's all good, but I'm going to change it all. He says to them, "Will you look at the uh, verse there, from, chapter, from verse 1 of chapter 5. Where he says that he's going to use all these Amorites, the kings of the, the, kings of the Amorites and the kings of, the, uh, of all the other nations, the um, Canaanites. So the sense is that they're kind of like already in the promised land-ish. It's just a matter of possessing this. And God says to him, I want you to take some knives and to circumcise every male person. Well, this is not good news, especially if you're a guy. (laughs) You know, it's like, Lord, I'll do anything, but what's going on here? Your sheepish laughs. That's what God said in the book. I'm just reading the Bible. It's like, circumcise them. Why? Because the generation that came out, had died. This is a completely new generation. And God wants a whole new commitment from them. Up to this point, their commitment was very, yes, Lord, I'll go with it. Yes, Lord, I'll go with it. Now he's calling for a commitment that is going to cost them. That's really going to cost them. Reminds me of when Jubilee in the early days, the early days was actually called King's Church, when we began. The first 10 years and the second 10 years, they're like two, just two halves. The first 10 years when Colin was leading, oh my goodness, we had such challenges. Like I said, it took us 10 years to go to 80 people. We had unbelievable challenges. I'll share some of them with you. In fact, in the first, the first 10 years, many of the people that started, oh, I, like somebody was asking me yesterday, did, the, uh, did the, people, the people with you, are they still with you now? There were two, the two halves. In the second 10 years, all the people that were there are all still there. In the first 10 years, all the people that started with us, that said, come over, we want to do church planting, and they joined. I remember one particular family, they were just, their enthusiasm was enough to get us there. They drew us there. We were there just a few, a little while, they moved on. Colin was shocked. I I didn't know, I didn't, I, I was too naive to know we're in trouble. Colin realized, this is not good. We shocked. And one or two other people that were there, they moved on. And just, we were feverish. And I began to realize, this is not good. It took us forever to grow. The first half was difficult. And so, by the time we came here to Ashburn, God was calling us to a whole new commitment level. And that commitment, thank God we heard it, because it's really carried us all through. This is a whole new day. And so it is that he's saying, look, I'm gonna. I want to. I want all the males to be circumcised. This is very unusual in your commitment. Circumcision in those days goes beyond. It, there was a there was a, an aspect of it that had to do with hygiene, but it goes beyond the hy, hy, hygienic. It has spiritual ramifications. It was central to their faith. It was. A, it, it really represented giving yourself to God at the most, it spoke of so total submission at, at the level of privacy. Total submission to God. It spoke of total submission with regard to your identity because nothing, very few things define us like our sexuality. That's why it's such a big issue. Few things define us at the core of our being like that and God says, I want, I want you to circumcise all your males. Not just that, it speaks of your creativity that This is how procreation and next generations come about. He said, I want to, I want them all circumcised. And as it was for them that they needed to be circumcised, I want to say this to you, it is true for us also. But the circumcision in the New Testament, Philippians 3, 3 says this, that we are the true circumcision, that worship in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. This is really important. That there is a circumcision that we also face. But listen, it is a circumcision, first of all, a circumcision of the heart. That our hearts, that God comes right in and comes to circumcise. That there are sometimes things in our hearts where we love him, we get him, and so on. But there's still some things there that he doesn't want and he comes to cut and cut out circumcision. And there it speaks of real devotion. In Romans chapter 2 verse 29, the Bible talks about this talk about the heart being circumcised. And that's why I said that that prophetic word meant a lot to me. God, it talks about pruning. It talks about cutting. It talks about taking... It's exactly what God did here for these people, circumcision of the heart. Not just that, for you and I in the New Testament, it's not just of the heart, it's circumcision of the ear. (laughs) In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, it talks of uh, Simon, Simeon, Who had done all these acts and people were just, they stoned him to death. But before they did, he spoke to them. He told them, you uncircumcised people, you do always, you uncircumcised people, hard of hearing, uncircumcised of ear. says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. That we're to be people, circumcision of the heart, true devotion to God and all that he wants, circumcision of the air, so that we are hearing what he is saying and being led prophetically by him, not just pragmatically by ourselves, listening to him, hungry for him. If ever we are hungry for him, I tell you, he will come. He loves to feel that hunger. Blessed are are those who hunger after righteousness, they shall be satisfied, Jesus said. And then there's even circumcision of the mouth. You'll have to go to Exodus 6 for this. But Moses says, when God says to him, go to Pharaoh, he says, I cannot go because I, my mouth is uncircumcised. You think, what is that? He said, I don't have, you have, I, I cannot do this thing without you. And God touches his mouth, actually, Exodus 4. God says, I will touch your mouth and circumcise you. And from that point, he has the words to speak. Listen, for you as a Christian, you have to guard your heart with all diligence and when it comes to the house of God you guard it even more like right? you're careful do you love God and do you love his house and do you love his people these are all tests you have to be careful how you hear God are you is your life being led by what he says or by what you were told you know african parents always say to their children you're going to be a doctor that's all there is you know that's if they say that you're not quite smart then they'll settle for being a lawyer but that's about it. Oh, yeah. It's exactly how they are. They are settled for lawyers. That's it. But if you have to go down to, like, accountancy, they're like, you failed us. You failed yourself. You failed your everything. And so you end up living your life with what, what my parents want. You just do what they want. Well, I'm not, this is not a call for disobeying parents, but it is a call for saying, what has God put in your spirit? Not what did you watch on television one day and you like it, oh, I'll do that. No, no. What has God put in your spirit? Circumcised of heart and of ear and then of mouth. If ever anything is important, this is circumcision of the mouth. That the mouth with which we praise God and honor him and worship like we just did. One of the ways that faith gets stolen from you is when with the same mouth, we don't use it right. And faith killers come in is the way I like to describe it. Such as negativism, the disposition to always project to the worst-case scenario. Well, that that will, ki- that will kill any any life. <laughs> just make it benign. Any people group, any ch- wherever. This is negative, negativism. And there are people like that. I do say, it comes fairly natural to some people. Be negative. In fact, it's almost a gift. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, it, they can just do it effortlessly. <laughs> They just do it. They just think it won't work. How do you know? It just won't. And they just like that. And I've seen people like that. You, you could not convince them that this thing could work. You just couldn't convince them. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. They're just not going to. And even when you do convince them, so these kinds of people, you approach them, especially in meetings. By the way, you don't want one of these guys to be on the trustee. Okay, That's, the, that's just the end of the church. You know? So you, you, you know what they're going to say. Like, We're going to do this. You know what they're going to say. So you plan ahead. And when they say it, you just be like, yeah, but we've thought of it already. We'll do this and this and this and this. And they'll look at it. The best you will get from them is silence. <laughs> never approval. They're just going to be like, okay. That's very different from okay. They don't have a yes God disposition. And negativism kills things stone dead. The other one is criticism, the disposition to always uh, looking for the incomplete or the imperfect. You know those kinds of people. You do a big work, you put into a room, and they say you missed a bit. That that's the first thing they see. You missed a bit, and there's a tendency to criticize. This is not good. In fact, God does. God will say, I don't want that kind of thing among my children in my house because. When God wants to move, he needs people to have faith. But, but if faith killers are all over the place, then nothing moves. But also cynicism. The, the, the disposition to reject any human enterprise or skepticism. The, is that the next one there? The disposition, to, to be, the disposition that is determined to always question but never commit. Ah, yeah. This, this, this one is also a gift. Yeah, it's not, it's not from the Holy Spirit, but it's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have met people that even when they don't want to do it, they do it. You know, they're always, question, why don't we as a church do, why don't we as a, why don't we, and then you say, well, actually, we do do, we do have, we do pray, we pray at the prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting is on Friday evening, oh, oh, so they like to question, but they never commit. They like to question, but they never commit. And then the last one there is cynicism. The disposition that is always uh, uh sees any human enterprise as unselfish motivator. Anything that's happening, they can't believe that, oh no, it's for a good cause. It's just like that. They think, oh, hang on, hang on. What's behind it? What's behind it? What are they really, really saying? What are they really, really saying? And God is saying the whole time, I'm calling you to a new commitment and it costs you want the miracles, you want the promised land, you want the fruitfulness, you want the vision Is given, he says, then there's a cost. But it is not a purchase cost, it's a preparation cost. He wants our hearts circumcised. And wherever we would open up to him, he will come do that pruning that he needs to do. But I tell you, like we said, pruning is not because he hates you and he's bored and he has a knife in his hands. The pruning is because he loves you. He knows the way to get you there. He knows the way to get you there. A new commitment. Number two, a new commencement. A new commencement. A new, a new, a new, a new, a new walk. I love the fact that he said, after they were circumcised, he said, nobody moved for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's a funny thing. There are just some parts of the Bible that bring water to your eyes. (laughs) There are parts of the Bible that make you wince. You think, oh, my goodness. It says, nobody, of course, nobody (laughs) (laughs) moved. But there's something here that God is trying to teach them. Joshua is a military guy. He knows how to fight. He knows. Exodus 17, he went down to Amalek and defeated Amalek. So he's a guy that can fight. When everything is going well, you just cross the Jordan, and the kings in the other places, they are fearful. They are running for their lives. This is not the time to circumcise anyone. This is the time to go after them and kill them. But if you, if, if you decide, okay, let's circumcise ourselves now, well, what happens? If the enemy hears of that, they might, in running away, think, hang on. They've all just been circumcised. These guys cannot move. They cannot fight. Let's go back and defeat Israel. I mean, that thing could really turn out for bad. God often he he chooses unlikely methods, unlikely people, just to make a point. Just to make a point. So it is. Like it says, it's going to be a whole new walk from now on. Whereas they've been seeing everything going in a certain way. Everybody pause for a moment. Everybody stay for a while. Bring them all to another place. <laughs> you might say, bring them to Ashburnham for a while to say, I want to talk with you, says the Lord. Right, Lord. Because it's God's way of saying, if you will hear it right, that he doesn't want you having come and as it were spiritually been circumcised, he doesn't want you to have the same walk when you go back. But there has to be a difference in that walk. The person who's just been circumcised is not just walking, hopping, and skipping. There is a care. There is a gentility. It reminds you of a pregnant woman. Pregnant women, do not just, they're not just pregnant and just... Start, they don't just... <laughs> they don't do that. They don't, you didn't think I could move like that, did you? I didn't think I could move like that. It's amazing what you guys do to me. <laughs> Pregnant women, don't, they don't just run for buses. They don't take five steps at once. They, don't, they think it through. They plan it well. They care for everything is thought through. The Lord wants to say this to you, I believe, that as you go back, that there needs to be just a change in the pace, in the gait, in the way certain things are done for his glory. There's a unity of heart. If the hearts are circumcised, there is a unity that comes together. If the ears are willing to hear all together, Then there's something that God wants to bring forth and birth into if everyone will be on board. A change of pace, he says. And as it is for the church, it is also in our lives individually. Change of pace. A new commencement. A new commencement. That is, your priorities change. Your priorities change. That now you love the house of God more than ever. That's important. Uh, it, too many. T- I worry sometimes that some some of the teachings and preaching can tend towards almost a love yourself. It's not right. You love you love the Lord thy like God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength first. And one of the ways you show that is by loving His house. When David says it. David says, you know, <laughs> he says, "I will not." He says, "I will not go into my house." I will not sleep on my bed. I will not close my eyelids upon my bed until i found a place, a dwelling place for the mighty one, the mighty God of Jacob. I love that passion. says, oh God, I love your house. I love your house. God wants to call us to love his house exactly that way. And when we do, everything else becomes easy. Serving in his house becomes a joy, actually. And, And worship pours forth. The other thing is change... Changed priority, but also changed passions. That your worship of God goes into a deeper level. That it goes from the yeah, the singing of good songs and the enjoyment of it in the soul level to an even deeper level. Thank you. To an even much deeper level, to the point where actually, when you're before God in the congregation and you're worshiping or by yourself, you even you know. Something from the depths of me is coming together and coagulating and bringing it before God and saying, Lord, this is, this is all I am, all I have. I give it to you deliberately. I give it all to you. And God loves that wherever he sees it. It's a call to change priorities, change passions, to really, really give everything. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. They love your house. They are forever praising you. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than be in the tents of wickedness. Changed perspectives. It's a different way that I see things from now on. Different way that I see things. The vision that God has given, I want to live my life for that. Changed preferences. That now it's not just about me, it's about other people as well. Loving one another, he says in the book of Romans. Well, all of these things, God Through circumcising, he's trying to teach them something. There's a way to live from now on. A new commitment, a new commencement, finally, a new confidence. Because these people, imagine now, they had come 40 years in the wilderness. And they had been fed breakfast by God every morning. And they even had dinner by God every evening. They had the manna in the morning, just there, and they had the quails in the evening. For 40 years. The longest miracle in the Bible. For 40 years, the people would wake up in the morning, come out of their tents, and just get the breakfast, go in. It's done. That was it. In fact, God said to them, no one is to keep this thing for the following day. You are not allowed to save it for the following day. Yeah. You know, I think God felt there might be one or two Nigerians in there. Because if I were there, I'd be thinking, whoa, this is business. I see business here. (laughs) That's what I'd be thinking. I see business here. You know, collect it, collect it, store it. You know, somebody's got to be hungry by lunchtime. Sell it. (laughs) Store it and sell it. I, I see business here. I think God knew some some people would do it. In fact, one guy did it. He was like, do not keep it. The guy took it and he kept some. And the following morning, it had turned completely to maggots everywhere. He's trying to teach them something. You will live by faith and by faith alone. I said to you, I will provide every day. My resources are inexhaustible. Trust me. So every morning, they come to get it. They come to get it. Evening, it's there. And the shocking thing is, finally, everything is going well. We're entering a new land, and God stops the miracle. What? This is back to front. You're expecting even extra miracles. Not just breakfast and dinner. Lunch. <laughs> lunch, right there. That's what we want. He stopped the miracles. No more. Not, no more food from above. What? Because God... God never wants to rear brats. He never wants to rear children that are just spoilt, that take him for granted. After 40 years, there's a whole generation that have grown up that thought, it's just the way it is. Food comes from above. Surely that's the way it is for everybody. And they're taking it for granted, only to realize it's not like that. It's not like that for the rest of the world. You've been, this is a miracle right here. You're living in the middle of a miracle. It's not like that. We had a guy, uh, Julian Adams, you may know him. G- Julian been here? You all know Julian Adams? Yeah, a prophetic guy? Crazy. Okay. Oh, oh, very prophetic guy. And we had him in our church one time. He came to preach and, and uh, praying for people prophetically. And then halfway through, he stopped and said, And you, Toppy? God says, you know, uh, I, I, I just see you. God shows me a picture. I see you preaching in stadiums. And, I, and you're preaching and so on. And I thought, oh, okay, amen, you know. I I, I didn't deny, I believe that God can do anything, but I I, I don't know any stadium, I don't, you know, maybe one day in Africa in a stadium that sits 200 people maybe by, you know, so amen, amen, amen. And then bit by bit we just continue with life in the church. And one day, we were going to pull all the congregations together to meet together. And somebody found an athletics stadium there. And we were all moved there. We did all this stuff, you know, all loud and everybody. It was a great night, you know, wonderful. And uh, it was actually a crossover. So we do something on 31st December every year. And we're preaching. And the whole place is full and packed, you know. And when you're on that stage, you, you can't see. Often when you're on these stages, you, all those lights, you can't see. I'm preaching the gospel, give your life to Jesus, and I'm preaching and preaching. And in the middle of it, I remember exactly what I was doing. The Lord reminded me of that word. You will one day preach in a stadium. I thought one day it will be somewhere out there at some point in the future. Up to that point, it never dawned on me. Even though we're talking about it, discussing it, paying the money and all, it never dawned on me. that oh my goodness, that prophetic word, only when I was preaching in that moment, it it dawned on me. There's a lesson here that it's possible to be walking in the middle of a miracle and not recognize it. And not recognize it. And very often that happens with people. And I want to say this. There are things that God is doing amongst you that you may not call a miracle, but I think God would. I think there's a unity factor. I think there's a love. I think there's such vision that he's given and potential he's installing that if we will hold on to it and hold on to him, you'll see so much, much, much more. So much more. And actually, although he stopped the miracle from above and he stopped the quails and the manna, actually that year, you, you know what they ate? They ate food that they did not plant. They lived in houses that they did not build. They lived it, he, and he had told them this in the past, I will give to you vineyards that you never planted. And he did it. Not just that. Now they were also going to work. They were going to have to learn to take seeds. Oh, what are these seeds? God, they, never, they just used to eat from my bowl. What are they? Oh, she's very small. Very small. <laughs> <laughs> and God is like, yeah, yeah, just put it in the ground. What do we do? Just put it in the ground. Well, just, in, just put it in the ground. Put it in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Now like, water it. The water, water. We have no water. Okay, I'll give you water from above. Then rain. Who is it? And that thing germinates and grows. And when it grows, it doesn't yield one; it yields a whole lot of them. You plant, water. It is God that gives the increase. Till to people don't see that as a miracle. I see that as a huge, huge miracle. Well, you're a little five-year-old in biology class and they give you a little bean to go plant and that thing germinates. It does something for you on the inside. It's a sad thing that we outgrow it, which really, really shouldn't. And so he shows them. Now, the miracle is there, but it's of a different order. It's not just coming and falling from above. You do, you are connected to it somehow. And that's the point, that as we walk with God, there are things he will want us to do. But we are, con- we are very connected to, but don't ever think we did it all. He's the one doing it all. He's the one doing it all. I want to close with something that I heard quoted yesterday. Because this generation of people, at the end, they were, that generation went on to destroy, this, the walls of Jericho came down with this generation. This generation will go on to see 17 different kings removed and destroyed. This generation is the one that really possessed the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. This generation is the one that saw the sun stand still as Joshua held the javelin. That generation saw amazing things because they listened to God and they followed God. Because they were willing to open their arms and say, do to me what you will. I trust in you. And they just fall into the hands of the Almighty. And then he beautifies their lives and redecorates it. And he begins to do things in the church that he always wanted to do. Because there was not one of them that was a dissenting voice, a negative voice. They were all together in one accord. Acts chapter 2. All of that comes together. And then God begins to move. But the way he does it by far, you start with the Spirit. I went, Owen quoted yesterday, I loved it so much. On the last day of the feast... Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And I woke up with that in my heart this morning, and I feel the Lord would just want me to just, to just spend a few moments to just pray for you. Does that sound like a good idea? Five people think it is. us. <laughs> I wonder if, if I want to just play something that just helps to just come back to God and worship. We'll probably all about five minutes or so, but To just come before him, if anyone thirsts, let him come. And the picture there really is in those days, they would come to celebrate, actually, uh, they would come to celebrate all their Feast of Booths and they would have big, huge, uh, just uh, kegs of water there, massive things. And on the final day of the feast, the priest would climb up the steps and they would take all those, those kegs of water. Everybody, it was the final day of all the feasts. They would have been there for a while, sleeping in the open, celebrating all the journey that God gave them. On the final day, the priest would come and they would push down the water from the side. And the water would just gush all the way down the, down the step. And people would shout and shout and shout. Because it's reminding them of what God did in the Old Testament, in, you know, in their time, of, uh, in their father's time, of water coming out of a rock and they gushed out water. They will shout as it poured down. As they're shouting and applauding this ceremony, Jesus is standing there. And the Bible says, and Jesus raised up his voice in, with a loud shout. Jesus shouted and says, if anyone thirsts, don't look there, look here. If anyone thirsts, don't look to the Old Testament. Look, one greater than Solomon is here. Now, if you will look to me, I'll fill you. He said, but let him come. If anyone thirsts, then let him come, and he will be filled. Thirst, come, filled. I stand. stand. <laughs> Zo when I was able to get the money, I was able to get the Thirsty soul, pour over me your waves of love, pour over me. Lord, we come before you thirsty and needy. Lord, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out afresh, Refresh on us right now in Jesus' name. Go on, just speak to the Lord. So, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. I need you. There's no new level without you. So flood me, O God. Wash me through and through. Cleanse me from within. Purge me in every way. I felt that, I feel the Lord would say there's somebody here who like was said already before there's a sense in which you are here but you feel disconnected the Lord does want to connect you right back at a heart level and then there's somebody else here who is like you are here you're committed but it's just also the commitment is not full-blooded commitment and the Lord says if you will come here to where I am He says I'll do things in your life you never imagined He said, I'll do things that you never imagined. Forget your dreams. I have bigger ones for you. I'll do things that you never imagined. Good things for you. And so he called for a wholehearted, full commitment. And if that's you, just say, Lord, help me. Guide me. And if you're here, you'd love me to just pray for you. Why don't you just come to the front? I will gladly just pray for you and say more of the Holy Spirit to move you to levels of faith in God. Make a mighty man of valor, O God. You know what exactly what you have planned. Things that you installed. Lord Jesus. Things that may have begun to just for the business of other things dry out. I say, be re-irrigated in Jesus' name. Be re-irrigated. Lord, life come afresh in the name of the Lord. zotromono so level, whatever it is for having in her life, let her see evidences of your presence. Let her live in the consciousness of your presence today. Be filled in Jesus' name. To again, you know so it it's, it's, so it's a need to run, need, it doesn't have to be another sprint, there's a slight just go around and and just pray for people and we'll we're just going to sing a song together um, before we draw this time to a close it's not too late to come forward if you want to receive uh, prayer but we'll close in a moment because obviously we've got a a break at some point now